Mark 13, 24 through 31. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Verses 32 through 37. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Thank you, friends. Welcome to First Sunday of Advent. In the church calendar, this is the, this is like Happy New Year. Did you know that? This is the way the church calendar works: is that the 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 Christian year starts in Advent, and Advent means coming or arrival. The Advent of Jesus, and we actually celebrate two Advents of Jesus, and. What are those advents? Well, in case you didn't know, I'm going to share something really simple and for many of you very familiar. The world we live in is broken, isn't it? It's not hard to see very, very long into living life that there's brokenness, there's injustice, there's sickness, there's untimely death. There's all kinds of crazy inequalities. There's things that are just yuck. We literally had somebody steal one of our kids' Christmas gifts off our porch on Thursday. Um, we have one of those ring doorbells that can, you know, it's like, and my wife's like, who does that? <laughs> We're broken. We're just broken, aren't we? We're broken. But that's not the way God designed the world to be. He had a perfect design. And the design was this, that he's in charge of the world. He knows how it works. It is a beautiful order. And then he made humanity to be his representative, his image on earth, to then lead the earth, tend the earth, 
live on earth in a way that reflects his generosity and brilliance and beauty. But we decided, let's do it our own way. And that didn't work out so well. (laughs) Man, that animation always hits. (laughs) We call that sin. Doing things our own way leads to brokenness. And the ultimate brokenness is what we call death. And so through sin, what we invited into our own lives is death, that there's an end. And then death in all of creation, that creation isn't functioning the way it was meant to. That, that we can see these reflections of beauty. We can see like it could be, but we have this sense, we sang about it today, of this longing that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. But see, God didn't want to leave things that way. Apparently, in God's economy, He has no return policies. He likes what he made and he wants to redeem it. So he becomes one of us in Jesus. His son Jesus enters the, the craziness and the fray and the, 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 the disorderedness of human life on a broken planet. He comes to earth, becomes one of us, and he lives under God's rule perfectly. In other words, he doesn't invite any brokenness on himself. He doesn't invite death on himself. None of that belongs to him. But what he decides to do is to take on himself all of our brokenness, all of our death, and let it do what it does. It let it kill him. But then Jesus defeats it. He comes back from the dead. And he is alive and he becomes king over sin, death, and Satan, and everything else. We see that he, he has all rule and authority in heaven and on earth. And so where Jesus is now as this risen Lord who's gone back to be with the Father, he says if anyone will turn from sin, turn from running life our own terms, and follow him, that we will actually start to grow into the design that God intended for us, what we were meant to look like. And then we get to be sent back into brokenness, go back into brokenness, and let people know what Jesus has done for them. And so this, and Jesus will return to set everything right. Did you know that? The ultimate goal of, of God in history is not to escape the earth. It's to renew it. So that Jesus is going to return and fix it all. Think about that. That, that there will be beauty and justice. I always think, God, what are mosquitoes going to be like in the new creation? Will there be like a nice Q-tip in my ear that just feels good and then moves on with its life, you know, instead of making me itch? So Advent is this space in between Jesus' first Advent, His first coming, and His second Advent, the second coming of Jesus. So we're looking at that, that, that's the thing we start our year, our Christian year thinking about is Jesus is going to come and he, he has come. Advent traditionally starts with the second Advent. So you notice in our songs today, we're focusing on the return of Jesus to the earth, the renewal of all things. 
What a beautiful song. It said, you know, I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus free of any shame. That there's just no resident little needing to look at myself and notice how I'm doing. But I'm free of all failure under his blood and raised into a new life. So what I'm going to focus on today is just the last little bit of the the passage you just heard where Jesus, some call it in Mark, the little apocalypse. It's it's where Jesus is talking about his return. And I'm going to just look at the last little bit of this um, passage. Why? It's for a couple of important reasons. The first one is Jesus tells us how to live until his second advent. It's kind of significant that the one who's returning is telling us how to live till he returns. Besides the fact that he's God. (laughs) So when he tells us something, it's important that we listen, right? Thank you. (laughs) And the other thing is this. One thing I've noticed as I've been thinking about this passage is that if we take Jesus' words seriously, it fundamentally shapes our quality of life and sense of purpose. I find that this is critical at this moment. I was just talking this morning with a friend of mine who's a professional counselor saying, I cannot believe how many people with suicidal ideations, depression, are just coming at this time. There's something about, and maybe it's just less sunlight, maybe it's the, the crazy expectations that, you know, the commercials give us of like for 10 seconds we think, well, I guess my family should be like that commercial, even though it was just some ad exec who was like, how do I sell this thing, right? We make up these visions that create a myth of expectations of what this season should be like. I don't know. But, they're, they're, but I'm telling you, Jesus knows how we're able to live with a sense of a quality of our life and a sense of purpose. Isn't that powerful? So we're going to read, reread just this last little piece of what you just heard read and then talk about it for a second. And Jesus, I just want to say thank you that you uttered these words 2,000 years ago. That the, the, the one... The Son, who is the Word, who uttered creation into existence, that we're only here because you said it. You said these words. So Jesus, you know better than any of us what kind of power is in your words. But we say we're open to you, Jesus, to speak to us now. We're open to you that by the Holy Spirit, You'll do the things that only your word can do, which is, the Hebrew says, goes all the way to divide soul and marriage. It goes to the deepest place of our longings, our sense of meaning, our sense of identity, and what is the world about. So come, Lord. If you agree with me, can you just say, come? Yay. Okay. Let's do this. So Jesus had been talking about his return And he ends that little bit by saying this, but about that day or that hour when he returns, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, Keep watch because 
you do not know when the owner of the house will come back. Whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the first thing I want to notice is just this first sentence here. It's really helpful that Jesus is saying, nobody knows when he's going to return. Has anybody noticed there's a, there's a strange curiosity around this thing, right? That for 2,000 years now, there have been people saying, it's happening tomorrow. I know, I know why. And I, I'm serious, there's a fascinating history um, like I can tell you stuff from the 1200s of where people were absolutely convinced Jesus is returning right then. Um, but Jesus is saying nobody knows. In fact, and so he's saying in this thing, he's not commanding us to know. Does that make sense? He's not saying, know the day or the hour that I'll return. Figure it out. He's not saying that. There's this quote from St. Augustine I love that's just, it's just fun. If you can memorize this and say this at parties, you'll be amazing. (laughs) St. Augustine says, a person does not go wrong when he knows that he does not know something. But only when he thinks he knows something which he does not know. (laughs) Isn't that good? It's written in the 5th century by Augustine. That's kind of the thing with when Jesus returns. We're not going to go wrong if we know that we don't know. Everybody comfortable with that? You've got to be comfortable with knowing you don't know. And just letting that mystery exist. Why? Because Jesus said so. It's safe to, safe to have that posture. But if we look at this, this last little bit where Jesus is telling us how to be, be, be prepared, be, be waiting for his return, the main point's pretty clear. Be on guard, be alert, keep watch. What I say to everyone, watch. He's got a really simple point here is to say, anticipating his second advent, watch. 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 Now here's the question. How in the world can you do that? It's been 2,000 years, man. I am so distractible. Is anyone else distractible? See, the ones who didn't respond, you're distracted. See? I read a, me- a meme the other day that I thought was awesome. It's, it's a meme. It says, my, my wife is, my wife said to me the other day, you never listen when I talk. And I thought, that's a weird way to start a conversation. <laughs> Squirrel, right? If you get a dog, you know how to talk. Squirrel. How do we do this? But what's really encouraging is Jesus gives us a strategy that actually works so that we're watching for his return. It's right here in this passage. You know, Jesus gives a really short, basically three or four sentence parable that explains to us how we watch. I'll read it again. Verse 34. So he said, be on guard. How do you do it? It's like a man going away. He leaves his house. Puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you don't know when the owner of the house will come back. Evening, midnight, rooster crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, don't let him find you sleeping. 
So we can see at least two different ways that we watch in this passage. The first one I want to notice is, is, is this. He leaves his house, puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task. What is that about? He puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task. Why would Jesus feel the need to say that in his story? Well, what's interesting is it, what's so fun about having more than one gospel, a lot of times you'll have, you'll have the same story, but with a little bit more detail. Or, you know, Luke, you know, did a little more research. Mark's is the shortest of all the gospels. He just wants to get to the point. But if we look at Matthew, the same parable Jesus talks about, he, he, he adds this, he says, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Jesus is emphasizing that, 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 that there seems to be some kind of task that he expects us to be about as we're watching for his return. Luke says it this way. Luke, Jesus is giving another parable about Jesus, go, that, that, that Jesus going away and giving these servants money to invest. And, and he says to the servants, put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Some of you are familiar with the King James. He says, occupy till I come. Be about the tasks I've given you. And so the question is, well, what tasks? <laughs> If watching for Jesus means being about tasks, what does that mean? We could say, say there's at least two different kinds. One is simply what Jesus, do what Jesus said to do. He's given us clear assignments for what to do. He says things like, if you want to bear fruit at all and abide in me, love one another. I mean, if we just work at that one, we're going to be busy till he comes. Right? Just to try to love each other. That's like all the hard stuff together. But just think of any of Jesus' words. He says, be about what I'm asking you to do. Sometimes we can get really, really sidetracked with being concerned about my career or, you know, what does it mean for my destiny? Where if we would just start to do the simple things that Jesus showed us, that, that, are, that are challenging and life transforming, you have no idea what your life's going to look like just doing that. Does that make sense? So, so that so something has to happen. You, to even have the resources to be able to obey Jesus' commands puts you in touch with the one who knows where you need to be when you need to be there. But we do also have specific tax, tasks in our context. So we have no, ones that we know that everybody, Jesus has assigned us, love one another. But he's also saying, in your context, in this specific place, I do have things for you to do. One of the easiest ways to know is notice where you're at and notice what he said. Apparently, those people I'm living with, I get to love. In my context... I've found the fastest way to know what God wants to put your hand to is just look at what's right in front of you. It's the hardest place to obey Jesus' commands. It's so much easier in my imagination of what my life will be like when these other things are resolved around me, right? When I'm finally in a different context where people aren't like that. 
But Jesus does have a specific task for each of us. In, in Hebrews 12.1, the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, let's let go of every sin and every distraction so that we can run the race that's been given to us. You have a race. You have a, a purpose. And Jesus commands, and he's got specific things for you. And if you feel like, well, I don't know that Jesus ever talks to me about that. He does. I promise you he does. I promise you he does. If you're not even sure, come and talk to me. Talk to some people you trust to start to hear Jesus. He wants to talk to you. He's very interested in every detail of your life. But we've got to be paying attention to the tasks he assigns us. He assigns us. He assigns us. I've wasted a lot of times with tasks I've assigned me. Does everybody know that? I, I, you know what I found is? Jesus will never generally fund my tasks for me. He, he won't give me the energy and things I need to accomplish what I need to do. But he always gives me whatever I need to do what he asks me to do. Now the funny thing is, sometimes what he asks me is way harder and way uh, than I ever thought what I wanted to do. But he shows up, man. He shows up. And I get to see things I never thought I'd see. Like being faithful at a job I hate for a long time. And just coming in smiling. Not being impatient. Loving people around me. People like, there's something wrong with you. We all hate this job. You should too. Oh, but I'm just doing what Jesus, my love, has asked me. I'm watching till he comes. So, how do we watch? The first one is to be faithful. I think that summarizes in these tasks, whether it's the general task that everybody's assigned to as a follower of Jesus or the specific thing he's given, is to be faithful to Jesus, to the one who assigns the tasks. But there's another way that we watch here, and there's a little two parts for it. So the A, a part of the second way, as we know this, notice in Jesus' parable, it says he tells the one at the door to keep watch. Notice he doesn't say the one in the basement or the one in the backyard. He says the one at the door. We have to know what direction to be looking in. If we're going to watch for Jesus' return, we have to know what direction we're going to be looking. Well, what direction is that? Well, we look elsewhere in the scriptures to help us. Paul talks about this in Colossians. He says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts, hearts, that place of desire, that place of want, that place of longing and imagination. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, what you think about on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, when he returns, then you also will appear with him in glory. Our song sang this from third, first John chapter three. We will be like him because we will see him. Paul's saying, look at Jesus. There's that fear of what, what, what if I become uh, too heavenly minded for earthly good? The, the fastest way to be no earthly good is to be earthly minded. 
Because the best we can do on our own is the mess we're living in. That's the best we can do. The best we can do is war, <laughs> rumors of war, you know, all the stuff. That's the, that's the best we can do. But Jesus, the one who made us, who is the archetype of what it means to be human, who's raised from the dead, as we look at him, we learn that's what it means to be human. That's what it means to live a life. I was meant, I was born into, I was born into something more. So to watch for Jesus, I have to look up. In fact, Jesus says this in Luke. When the things, when the signs start to come that my return is coming, where does he say to look? Lift up your heads. Isn't it, isn't it kind of weird if you think about it? Have you guys ever heard some kind of morose predictions about the end of the world? From Christians too, like, they, let's, you know. I wish we'd all been ready. All those people over 50, you know what I'm talking about. God bless Larry Norman. Some of you guys are going to have that the rest of the service just rolling through your head. But he says, when you're seeing the signs of the end, lift your heads. This is good news, man. I'm coming. Your delight is coming. The redemption of all things is coming near the earth. The things that you know aren't supposed to be going this way. I'm coming to fix it. We've got to be looking in the right direction. And the other thing is this. Keep watch. Who are we looking for? We're looking for the owner of the house. Does anybody have a ring doorbell? And you have, did you initially when you bought it, you put it on, yeah, alarm me of anything that comes to my door. And pretty soon you have 3,000 alarms because you have no idea how many cars go by your house or how many spiders cross of that. You know, it's like, ah, 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 ah. you know, it's like, this is not useful. I don't care that there was a leaf that blew in front of my door. Say, so what are we looking for? Even better, who are we looking for? Now, here's the thing. We have to familiarize ourselves with what Jesus looks like if we know, if we're going to know what he looks like when he returns. Cause, cause we have evidence that it's possible to miss him. John 1.10 says that Jesus was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. There are people standing in front of Jesus and didn't recognize him. In fact, here are religious scholars, guys that knew the Bible better than anybody. And Jesus is talking to them and says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, but you refuse to come to me to have life. I wrote these words and I'm in front of you and you don't know who I am. It's possible. It's possible. And in, 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 uh, I think this was, no, this is, yeah, Peter preaching. He said, the people of Jerusalem, the rulers, did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. They diligently heard these words and didn't realize they're killing the very one the, the words are talking about. It's possible to miss Jesus. And Jesus, in fact, says this. He gives this parable about his return. And he, he talks about people, says the righteous uh, will answer him, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry and feed you? 
or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see, when do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king would reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. See, see, what, what we'll find is when we, when we get familiar with what Jesus looks like, through his words, through, through, through being in his presence, through, through praying and talking with him, we'll realize Jesus shows up in some unlikely places. Jesus shows up, it seems, among the most rejectable of society. The least contributory towards society. That Jesus, Mother Teresa would talk to me, it's like, I'm going to go see Jesus. Why? I'm going to go see Jesus in the face of these people that are dying, and I'm just going to, nobody else will give him a dignified death. That's how I see Jesus. So when you're familiar with Jesus, you notice things other people don't notice. The writer of Hebrews said this really clearly. Let's run with perseverance. We talked about being after a task, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Wouldn't it be just so discouraging to be running hard and realize you've been going in the wrong direction the whole time? But when we keep on looking at the, the goal, where we're going, it orients us over and over again. We can even reorient time and time again. That we're heading that way. To Jesus, my, I'm fixing my eyes, my attention, my inner attention, my thought life on Jesus. That's how we watch to know when he returns. So, so how do we watch? First, we be faithful to Jesus with the actual tasks in front of us that are living in daily life. Whether that's the simple commands of Jesus to love him, to love others, or the specific tasks that we know that are from him in our context. And the other thing is to be attentive to Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. Those two ways of watching him. That where do we look and to whom do we look? It's to be attentive to Jesus. To have an ongoing inner attentiveness to the person Jesus. And here's a really important thing. Is Jesus gives us a warning in this passage. And so this warning is, is simply this. He says, if he, meaning Jesus, comes suddenly... Do not let him find you sleeping. Do not let him find you sleeping. Now, for me, there's been times in my life I've dealt with a little bit of insomnia. I would always prefer to be sleeping, to be honest with you. Trying to keep awake all the time sounds awful. And the ORU students who have finals this week say amen. They're trying to stay awake all week to cram in for their finals. But Jesus isn't so much talking about actual sleep. We see this in Jesus' parable that Luke recounts, this very same one. He said, be, be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. Now, we don't use the word carousing a lot. If you do, tell me. I'm just interested to know what you do when you carouse. <laughs> um, 
but really the carousing and drunkenness in the, in, in the, in the original language here kind of paired together. And, and the way I'd say, you might say, well, I'm not dealing with drunkenness. I'm just going to go ahead and say with, I'm going to call that self-medication. See, listen, I understand why people get drunk. I get it. You just need to lift from the moment, right? I understand people with addiction. Because why? The world is broken. The world is broken and it's painful. It's disappointing. So, so, so I, I think sometimes people with addictions just see the, see the world more clearly than the rest of us. Until, until you're drunk. But how about this? The anxieties of life. Here's a powerful thought, guys. Is it possible that the anxieties of life would mute our ability to watch for Jesus? That, that, that whatever that anxiety is, it always feels like, well, at least this one is worth paying more attention to than Jesus himself. Have you ever felt like when you got a real problem, to, to sit down and read the scriptures or pray seems very, very impractical? I did it yesterday. I was upset about something. I thought, I don't want to read the scriptures. This will not help. But I'm old enough. <laughs> And, and, and been humbled enough to say, just shut up, guy. I'll just put your eyes on this thing and wait till it, change, it changes you a little bit. It did. It did. It did. Here's the thing that can comfort us. You're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to stay awake? Jesus' best friends, in the most important moments of his life, this is what happened. Jesus comes to them. Jesus is like, I need you guys. My soul's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. Exact same verb that Jesus uses and watch in our parable. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. He's like, dude, I'm dying. I've been doing stuff for you the whole time here. And I'm, I'm like freaking out. I'm scared. You've never seen me scared. I'm scared. And they come back and he finds them sleeping. Simon, he says to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. See, this ought to comfort us, actually. That, that they, you know, when I say fix your eyes on Jesus, you're like, if you take that too concretely, it's like, well, I can't see Jesus. These guys could! <laughs> And they fell asleep. <laughs> so be comforted. That's as good as we'll do on our own. That's as good as we'll do on our own. We'll just fall asleep in the most important time. The fun thing is we get more than those guys had. We get the Spirit Himself. So when we watch, we'll talk about this here in a second, but we watch, we be faithful to Jesus, we be attentive to Jesus, and we want to live life awake. Live life awake. What Jesus is not saying, never go to sleep again. He's saying, live your life awake. Does that sound good to you? Does it sound like a Switchfoot song to you? It does. It's like every other Switchfoot song. And so I, I'm with it. I love John Foreman. Be faithful to Jesus, be attentive to Jesus, and live life awake. 
And so, guys, this is what shapes our quality of life and sense of purpose. What's so stunning about Jesus, what's so stunning about following Jesus, is it doesn't matter where you were born, the circumstances you were born into. Where you're born on that side of the tracks or this side of the tracks, that country, this country, it doesn't matter. Jesus invites us into a life with infinite quality and sense of purpose that's not dependent upon the things going on around. Amen. Is that fair or what? Is that just or what? Some of us don't believe that necessarily in our hearts. But here's the thing watching for Jesus changes our vision, it changes what we see. It changes what we see. The, the, the example that comes to mind is kind of a mildly embarrassing one. But so I was on a cruise. I've never been on a cruise. It was a few years ago. My, my father-in-law took us all on a cruise. And it didn't occur to me until I was on the cruise that people don't wear clothes on cruises. Have you noticed this? Anybody on this? Everyone's running around naked. It's like everyone thinks they're at the pool forever. And it's super awkward to be at a gift shop with all that skin right next to you, you know, it's just super awkward. It's, it's just awkward. It feels awkward in here right now. (laughs) True story. I was, (laughs) I was at the Sepulpa shoot last night, which I didn't know what that meant. I thought I was going to be shot at Sepulpa, but it's this Christmas thing. And this person walked by me and I just overheard, oh, my wife's looking this dread, but you know how you just hear a conversation walking by and all I heard this woman says is, and she just sent him a naked picture. And I was like, what did she just say? That was awkward. That would never really happen last night in Sepulpa. Something's going on out there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm getting hot. Right here. <laughs> my, my, my wife just said, you're derailing. Back to the naked people on the cruise. (laughs) Wearing bathing suits. It wasn't a nudist. Did anyone you think like really naked? Raise your hand if you said, thought I meant naked. That's amazing. I said it twice. I'm speaking in parables, people. They weren't actually naked. They're wearing bathing suits everywhere, right? What's the difference, right? What's the difference? Naked would not improve things. No, this is good. This is good. I feel it. I didn't want to sin. I didn't want to sin. But what, you can't, you can't walk around with your eyes closed. Yeah, you could. So, you know what I started doing? I just started saying, Jesus. Everywhere is at Jesus. Where are you, Jesus? And all of a sudden, I started to notice people, their faces. I'd noticed the girl who was wearing way too little and saying, Who's not loving her? 
she need that? Jesus, give her what she needs. Let her know she's a daughter. She doesn't need to be like that. Why is that guy so insecure with all his muscles? Instead of just, because otherwise it's a judge fest for me, right? You know what I'm saying? Judge, you're dumb, you're dumb, you're dumb, you're dumb. I, I, I wish I looked like you, but you're still dumb. Yeah, you all know what I'm talking about. It's like these vain people, and the first we get up in the morning, my belly is just hanging. Why, why don't I look like Thor? <laughs> I started, it, it really happened. I started to see people. Looking for Jesus changed my vision in a place that I thought, this could be tormenting. It wasn't. I met Jesus on that cruise. I met Jesus because I was, okay, Jesus, come. Nobody even knew I was doing it. But my whole life changed there. My experience changed because Jesus was everywhere. Among broken people that I, I most likely simply would have judged because they were drunk and scantily clad. They weren't actually naked. Scantily clad. Because I saw Jesus and I could feel his affection for them. You say, well, you shouldn't, you should, I should just let it go when I'm on vacation. Why? It's living a lesser life. Life is so enjoyable when you look for Jesus. Eugene Peterson said he'd been pastoring for 20 years. And he said, to my shame, I started trying to get a job somewhere else because I was just bored. I'm just bored of this job. And then he said, I realized, and through an experience he realized, my problem isn't the job. My problem isn't the people I'm working with. My problem is my sight. Because if I look in front of me, Every person I meet, an epic saga is unfolding. This is why I love to meet people and, and I love to hear their stories. People often are sorry, I'm sorry I'm talking so much. I'm like, this is the best thing I've done all day. To hear your story, because you know what I see in your story? I see Jesus. I don't care who you are. I know I can find Jesus in your story. When, we, when we're looking for Jesus, our sight changes. Life has a different set of meaning we have a different internal experience when I'm consciously looking for Jesus. And this is an important one. When we're watching for Jesus, it shapes our story. All of us understand our lives in terms of a story. It's well documented in the psychological realm. We, we, we see a story and, and our daily experience tends to be how we think about our story, especially our future story. I've told this, I've told this many times, but I'll tell it again. You know, you're going to have a, if you're free, if you're today's job, if you're a faithful task, it's simply the guy who puts the cap on the toothpaste as it walks by, as it goes down the, uh, you know, whatever conveyor belt. And, and you're making, you know, at the end of the year, they're going to pay you a hundred dollars. You have a certain kind of future story, right? Now, if you're under five, that might be a really great future story for you. But a hundred dollars doesn't go that far these days, right? But if you know you're getting a hundred million dollars at the end of the year for just screwing those little tops on toothpaste as they go by, you'd be like dancing, right? hundred million dollars, I don't care. I'll be doing the dollars per, dollars per cap, right? Knowing that Jesus is returning, 
to transform your life and all of creation fundamentally alters your present experience. I know people who are Christian and who are so depressed and disappointed about their present experience. That is not necessary, even if it's really hard. Now, please don't hear lack of compassion in any way. Please don't hear that. But all the words Jesus gives us that once we're with him, we're barely even going to notice the speed bump that was that level of difficulty that I wanted to end it all, that I wanted to leave. Because we'll see him, the one we love. Now, if that's not exciting, it might be, it might be that we don't know who we're looking for that well. That we don't, we're not looking in the right direction. I said this, I think last week, the, the older I get, the more childish, childlike I'm becoming. That I don't know what the answer is, but I know it starts with Jesus. Like my, inter- I'm frustrated about this, this is going on. I'm just trying to learn to train myself to just say, Jesus, help. It's as small as the problem may be. Jesus. And I'm finding that my future story is phenomenal because I can be okay to be disappointed with the world as it is. I'll say this. I wasn't that shocked that someone stole something from our house. I had to do really hard things this week. I had to bury a baby. This world's disappointing. That's unjust. That's, that, that shouldn't ever happen. That shouldn't ever happen, right? Oh, Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus. That, that's that invitation. The disappointment can be an invitation for longing. That I'm not made for this world. That isn't right. That isn't the way things are supposed to go. But Jesus, I have the story that you know that and you've done what it takes to heal me and you're coming. All of a sudden there's this longing when I start to start to pay attention to him, be attentive to him, know what he looks like, looking to him, not looking on the world's terms to figure out what's going on. Again, this is the best we can do on our own is the mess we're in. But to look above to Jesus and say, what is life about? Tell me how to live. And know he's coming to heal us. So we watch, we be faithful to Jesus, we be attentive to Jesus, and we live life Awake. Does anybody want to do that? Brian, would you come forward and Brooke? We're just going to finish with this song that we sang before. Um, and my invitation to you is, is this. I, I, my, I know that when I say a bunch of words or any teacher says a bunch of words, different things are going to hit you. And so just go with whatever Holy Spirit's got you on, right? But this is our moment to respond to the Lord. To say, say, what, what, what do I do with this? The easy part with being faithful to Jesus, you can start right now. You don't have to wait for anything to change. You don't have to wait for a relationship to resolve. You don't have to, to get the relationship. It, it, the, the only way to learn how to be faithful to Jesus is to do it right now. To do what he asks right now. And to be attentive with Jesus, we get to practice His presence. 
I've put these up before. Um, these are some books that are really helpful. This will be online or if you want to take a picture. All these are people who are older than us, all who have gone to be with Jesus, who, who wrote about trying to live a life, practicing, keeping our attention on Jesus. All four of these books have helped me deeply to be able to just walk through life. And I'm telling you, my joy level just does this, even when nothing has changed around me. Why? Because Jesus is the source of joy. I don't even have to choose it. The more I get acquainted with Him, the more I'm hitting life Himself. So Lord, I pray for us. I even pray for those right now that they're wrestling with the lie. I can't even experience that. That'll never happen to me. Lord, I love you and I bless you that the cross didn't depend on our ability to believe in it. In fact, the things you did in history have nothing to do with our abilities or our dispositions in any way. You just did them. And so I thank you that it's not by anything we can do that we get the encounter with you, Jesus. But we can ask. We can ask. And trust you to come to us the way you want to. Even if it's not the way you, that we expect. So let's stand together. If, you, if you'd like to just sing this song out as a way of, of expressing our longing and our yes to the Lord, to his command to us to watch for his coming. Shall be made.
Lord Jesus, I thank you that the very disciples that fell asleep in your hour of need were the ones who were then filled with the Spirit on Acts 2 and were proclaiming your brilliance, your resurrection, your beauty, and were able to stay attentive to you, able to stay faithful to you to the point that most of them lost their lives as they gazed in your face. So Lord, we, we hear your command to watch and we, we look at ourselves and say, how in the world can I do that? And I gratefully say we can't. The Lord, I'm probably the weakest person in this room. But by your spirit, the same spirit that raised you from the dead, the same spirit that came on Peter as he preached the gospel that was on Paul and these in these very guys who again say, don't fall asleep. That same spirit lives in me and is on me and gives us what we need to bring our gaze to, to hold us by the chin and say, look up again. Look up again. He loves you. He knows what you're experiencing. He's coming to heal you. It's not the end. This is never the end. This is never the end of the story. It's never the end because I've promised I'll return. Lord, shape our stories. I pray that depression and that the symptoms there would start to become irrational to us, that we'd realize our brains are just treating us very well, that, that, that that's not what's actually happening because Jesus is with me. I can look to him and he's coming. Let hope arise in us. Let hope arise in us. Cut through the clutter of distraction. Cut through the clutter of expectations. Cut through the clutter of self-negation, Lord, that we have, especially this time of year. That we can see you and be faithful to you and live life awake. Let's finish by praying those, praying for those who are far from God, who don't yet know the story of hope and haven't entered into it yet. Let's pray this together. Lord, I pray for the people in my life who are far from you. Deliver them from the evil one. Bring them into your family and help them to grow as your disciples. Amen. Have a wonderful week. I love you.